to The Corin Barraclough Show. Coming up, I'll be talking to Jan James, CEO of Good Egg Safety in the UK. She's done a study into parental alienation. She's asked me to be involved and I'm looking forward to hearing all about her campaign. I want to start this week with some of the feedback I've received. David wrote, empathy, compassion and a steely determination towards justice. Corin, your presentations go from strength to strength. Well done. I can't tell you how much this feedback means to me, thank you. I do have empathy for those trapped in the nightmare of family law. I do have compassion for people who are hurting and I do have steely determination towards justice. All the criticism, the other labels, the trolls, it's all just noise. I've also had a flurry of messages from alienated grandparents. Jill said, thank you so much for talking about this. There are so many of us suffering in silence. I also had messages following my discussion around male suicide, including from someone who wanted to share the heartbreak of losing veteran friends to suicide. The first hold of a soldier who started to believe false memories. His girlfriend got a DUI and when she came home that, no that night she found the baby screaming and his dead body. The second was shot in the head while deployed in 2007. His recovery process wasn't smooth. He was paralysed on his right side and had to learn how to walk and how to live again. He killed himself, leaving a wife and two kids. My heart hurts for those men, their suffering, and of course, for their families who must still be coming to terms with their loss. My brother is in the British Army. This is all very close to my heart. And I'd like to say thank you to all those who have served or are serving for the sacrifices you make for us all. Thank you. Now, I want to say a few things about this New South Wales Labour Bill that could see domestic violence perpetrators jailed for up to 10 years for coercive control. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that this is coming from Labour, but it's important that we understand here what's going on and, and push back. The ABC reports the bill is the first attempt by a major party on the Australian mainland to criminalise dangerous behaviours underpinning many abusive relationships. Sounds okay, doesn't it? Sounds reasonable. Coercive control is a form of domestic abuse. A perpetrator uses a system of behaviours to dominate and control victims. This is things like isolating them from family, friends, their support networks basically. Coercive control is not currently covered by legislation. On the surface, this sounds like something we should support, but it's crucial to look a little deeper into this. The expert quoted in the ABC article is from Women's Safety New South Wales. When you actually go to their website to see what they're saying about this bill, you'll find it's all feminist theory dressed up as fact. Coercive control is not a gender issue. But on the website, this women's group specifically speaks of a gendered nature of coercive control. Anyone with any life experience knows that controlling behaviour is not a gendered issue. Men can be controlling, women can be controlling, it's a human issue. But remember that at the heart of feminist theory sits the power and control theory. Gender sits at the centre of their theories of crime. The radical feminist viewpoint is that relationships are the primary means through which men control women and maintain their power over them. Feminists see all social relations in terms of power dynamics. Let them believe what they want to believe, but do not let theory sit at the heart of public policy. It is certainly not true that only men can be controlling. This bill, coming from Labour, is dangerous. It is not gender neutral, 
and therefore it is not just. Shove your theory, frankly, and keep it well away from public policy. Remember that it's the left of politics that deny parental alienation exists. They say it's a myth that women use children as weapons and deny access to good fathers. Well, my interview today throws some light on this topic. Let's have a listen. So my guest today is Jan James, who is Chief Executive of Good Egg Safety in the UK. She has come recommended to me by the wonderful, um, really, really brilliant Erin Pitsy, who I spoke to a couple of weeks ago on my show. And um, Jan James has been overseeing a study into parental alienation. So I want to obviously have a word with her and find out what's going on there. Hi, Jan. How are you? Hi, Corinne. I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. Thanks so much for coming. I know we have Erin as a, um, a mutual connection. Wonderful lady. My inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your study into parental alienation. Can you tell me to start with what was the study intended to look at? Okay, so it's worth rewinding a little bit. I'm uh, my background is I'm a social marketer. Um, and so to do my work and develop campaigns, I need to do my homework. And to do my homework, I need research. And um, it seemed to me that in this space, there's a lot of disinformation, misinformation that's driving policy. And I really wanted to test it for myself. So the first thing I did was bring together experts in the field, because I'm just a campaigner. I'm not a PA expert. Erin was one of them uh, and many others. So we had bridges and uh, child psychologists and barristers and many other different people sitting around the table. And what I said to them was, I'd like to do uh, some research into this and use one of our platforms. And we uh, used the Good Egg Safety Child Seat platform, a very innocuous Facebook page, to put out some uh, questions to find out kind of how prevalent it was in a kind of normal family environment. And we were staggered by the responses. Shocking. Let me, it's really interesting to hear you talk about that background there because I, I completely agree with you. I'm really passionate about this space because I too have lived it. Um, tell me what you mean when you say that um, misinformation is guiding policy. What do you specifically mean by that? Right, so if you believe the narrative, um, you would believe that parental alienation doesn't exist, yeah. it's just science, uh, and it's only a means for uh, abusive fathers to continue the abuse of victim mothers. That's a narrative. Yes. And what did you discover is the flip side of that, or actually the truth? The flip side is this is not a gender issue. It is perhaps more of a residence issue, so it may be more prevalent because women are more likely to get custody. It is a power and control issue. And if you see a child manifesting the crazy behaviours of an alienated child, which are not normal behaviours, not even among children who are estranged, um, you have to look directly at who is in charge primarily of that child. And so therefore it's generally resident parent, although clearly not always, and more likely to be a mother than a father because women are more likely to get residency. But what yeah. we found is there are thousands of safe, loving mothers who are equally afflicted, who are being uh, damaged in the same way because of this false narrative. And it is absolutely a false narrative. It's not a gender issue. It's a mental health issue legislative issue, public health issue. And the reason we've got involved is it's a child protection issue. And do you think then that 
um, services that are supposed to support women, so women's services, that's the umbrella would be in the UK as it is here in Australia, are they leading misinformation as well? Are they, are they um, perpetuating that? Um, I'd have to say that I would think that the majority of people who work for women's victim services do so with great altruism, great intent, and a, and a lovely people. Uh, I am myself a survivor, uh, and I ran a campaign on domestic abuse that was launched by Scottish ministers, um, you know, about 20 years ago. And I worked alongside uh, various uh, services, including Women's Aid, and I found them to be fabulous. I don't think that this is the workers at the coalface, but I do think there's an agenda higher up uh, where obviously every female victim gets money and it's the, the proposition is that women are the only victims and we only have to see that as our landmark domestic abuse bill is going through it's been in the house of commons it's now in the house of lords and it's being led by in the uk women's aid who are there for female victims and not one male victim of abuse has been heard despite repeated requests from mankind and other male victim organizations not one and that is terrifying because we know here there are 800,000 male victims and if we disregard them we disregard their children which means that their children are also being ignored and that's unconscionable victims can be male or female it's not a gender issue it's been made into one and that is driving our policy what damage do you think that it does to children long term Okay, so we've interviewed many adults who are alienated as children, and there's a common theme, and it almost mirrors exactly the findings of Dr. Amy Baker in her book, uh, The Ties That Bind. She researched 40 alienated uh, adults who are alienated as children, and we're hearing exactly the same thing. The first thing, which is the behavior of alienation, is constant denigration. Now, I'm not talking about the odd, you know, expletive about a partner that's driven you mad or hasn't paid you enough or had an affair. We're all human beings and that is normal behaviour. What alienation is, is a re repetition, constant negativity. It's a stream of invective that tells that child that part of them is unworthy, is unlovable, is someone to be feared. And they internalise that. So the first effect is low self-esteem and a feeling of unworthiness because half of who they are has been denigrated to such an extent that they themselves are unworthy. So that's the first thing they take. Um, they take high anxiety because what happens is children in, a, in an alienating environment are effectively psychological hostages. They are trying to regulate the emotions or the anger of the alienating parent. Um, their whole survival is wrapped around keeping that relationship going because the child's biggest fear is abandonment and loss of attachment, which is effectively what alienation is. It's rupturing the parent-child attachment bond. It's the Achilles heel of mental health issues. So high anxiety on a constant basis uh, means that they, it affects the whole physiology. If you're stressed, 
for a long time and there is no respite. That literally changes the wiring in your brain. It changes the way you act. Uh, children lose empathy. Um, they feel guilty. It is a terrible legacy for a child to feel like they are in the middle and they have to choose when every child, any child, would always choose to love both parents if they were given that choice. Even yeah. if they had an abusive parent, they still yearn to be with them. We only remove children from abusive parents for their own protection. But alienation isn't that. The abuser is actually the one that's alienating. And the victim parent is the parent that sees with horror the loving relationship they had prior to divorce or separation can continually being eroded and their child slipping away. I mean, I cannot comprehend how this has allowed, been allowed to happen for so long. It is the biggest scandal I have ever come across. And I've worked on a few. Yeah, I'm sure. And so much of what you're saying there really resonates with me because I was always told that my father had left and, and didn't want to know me. And I can't even put into words just how much that affected me. It absolutely ate away at my core. It haunted me that the person who had created me didn't want anything to do with me. It completely... It, it completely influenced my worldview, my life decisions, my spiral into addiction, experience with anxiety, depression, like this, the, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And ultimately, it wasn't true, you know, and, 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 and so the reason that I felt obviously so much turmoil and so haunted by it was because it was actually, it was not true, but you're not even given the, the guilt and the shame around the alienated parent. Um, it makes it impossible for you to even begin to ask questions, let alone have a relationship with that person. It's made very clear in all sorts of ways that alienation is just the way that, that, that it is. That's just the deal. That's the way it is. You don't ask questions and you just don't go there. And I'm so sorry to hear your experience, Karina. It's, um, we've heard that so many times. I've got an interview that's actually on our uh, website, uh, frontalienationuk.info, on our link to YouTube. And I interviewed her. She was just amazing. She lost 20 years of her life from a father who she had been told had um, abused her, abused her brother, had been violent to her mother. She hadn't seen him for 20 years. And it was only it, when she was 20, because she'd yearned for a father, she used to imagine what a father would be like. Um, and she, when she was 20, she decided to contact him, but she made the mistake of telling her mother. And she said her mother alternatively screamed and cried and screamed and cried for hours until in the end she decided not to contact him. She lay in a fetal ball, on her bed and said, okay, I'll not contact him. Then in her 30s, she met her now husband who worked in child protection. And he said to her, you would have heard something. Have you got no memories? Because you were quite old, you know, as this was supposed to be going on. Can you not remember shouting when you were in bed? Did your mother have any marks on her? And she said she could not remember. And in the end, he persuaded her to make contact. And what she found instead she described him as a sweet, loving, gentle man who was the pillar of his community, who was a much-loved father and grandfather of his second family. And he was nothing, nothing like her mother had described him. And she asked him, why did you get in touch with me? 
why have I lost 20 years of our life together? And he said, because your mum said, if I didn't leave this, she would raise sexual abuse claims and I couldn't run the risk of affecting my second family and the business. He said, I always hoped and knew that you would come and find me. And she is rightly angry because her mother coached her what to say when the social workers came around. Now, you know what you've got to say. You want to live with mummy. You don't want to see daddy because he abused me. And she said, when you're 10 years old, you do what you're told. Now, that flies in the face of the UNCRC Article 12, Voice of Child, because our leaders are not listening to the fact that the voice of an alienated child is the voice of an alienating parent. And the clues are in the adult language and in the presentation. But we don't have the trained people to actually see how counterintuitive the presentation is. It's a tragedy, but it has to stop. And we'll not stop until it is stopped. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, why do you think that left-wing activists like to pretend that parental alienation doesn't exist? Is that a, a money thing? Is it a funding thing? And how do we change that? Oh, well, that's a million-dollar question. So I, I've um, produced a report. Um, I, I, I say I. I worked with far greater brains than mine. Um, it's really just my homework because I can't run a campaign until I know what the real issue is. Because if I get the wrong problem, my creative team could work you know, brilliantly, do some fantastic adverts that win global awards. But if it's the right solution to the wrong problem, it's destined for failure. So we work really hard at the front end to think, okay, what's the real problem? And we'll dig and dig and dig until we find it. And what I've found is that actually, and I'm horrified, this isn't just a problem with PA. This is a much bigger problem that is endemic. It's like the people on the left who used to be very radical feminists have now taken center stage have now got positions in power, who now have positions in the police, and there's a gender feminism that is actually now discounting and eradicating fathers. We've effectively got a dismantling of family, that actually women can do it themselves. They don't need men. Uh, we have a Ministry of Justice review report that basically says, uh, with sarcasm, that we have a pro-contact culture now, we don't have a pro-contact culture. We have a pro-contact law. It is the law for children to be able to benefit from both parents because they perform as well as children in intact families that they have at least 35% with the other parent, academically, psychologically, physiologically, biologically. Children are destined to have a secure attachments with both parents. What this is, is it's a gender feminist attempt to dismantle family, to eradicate fathers and put women in control. And I say that as a feminist, I'm an equity feminist. I'll march behind any banner that proclaims equal rights, equal opportunity, equal pay. This is not it. This is about removing men from the equation. They talk about toxic masculinity, but I'm telling you, all I've seen is toxic matriarchy. I'm astounded at what I'm saying. And there's a conspiracy of silence because they're a vocal minority that will attack you voraciously. I've had more attacks in the last year than I've had in a lifetime. But I think, well, I must be on the right track here because children matter, men matter, all victims matter. 
And if we disregard half our population, then we are in a very sad state indeed. That's so interesting, Jan, to hear you say that, you know, the first piece that I wrote in this space, I completely kicked a hornet's nest, accidentally, <laughs> accident. I wrote a piece about what I would term true equality and how we're never going to make any progress with domestic violence if we keep attacking one gender over another and we make it a gender issue. And I copped the most foul, foul abuse and messages in caps and all sorts of F-bombs and C-bombs and, and, and all sorts. So tell me about some of the pushback that you've received and where you've received that from. Oh, well, it's really interesting. I've had pushback from, as you'd imagine, the ones on the other camp who think that I am um, a, a men's rights activist, um, I am a rapist apologist, uh, I must have been an alienator because I went to court to ensure that my daughter got um, uh, supervised contact with her daddy because he was a paranoid schizophrenic. I understand. I, I married at 17 and I was almost dead by 18. I understand the imperative of protecting genuine victims from abuse and protecting their children. I am right there behind them, right? What I find renders me incandescent are those who gain the system to access in the UK legal aid. Because when LASPO came in in 2012, you could only get it through exceptional circumstances, which of course is right. If you're a victim of abuse, it's right that you're protected and it's right that you get funding to support you and keep you safe. But what happens is there are many who actually misuse the system. And if you want evidence of that, then you just look at the fact that uh, partner violence, intimate partner violence, has decreased by 36% since 2005. But you look at the non-molestation ex parte orders have gone up ridiculously, 2,918% increase in Wolverhampton a family court alone. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but it doesn't take a great wit or brain to see the anomaly between a declining domestic abuse cases that are reported to the police, our stats, because you can only base it on stats, and a massive increase in non-molestation orders. And we're working with fathers who have had these allegations. And what's really interesting is that one of our partners had 92 separate allegations made against him, all unfounded. It's like they're throwing everything at hoping that something will stick because there's no accountability. You can actually wreck a man's reputation, his career, take away his house, take away his children, and then they're called angry fathers. Well, I would be an angry father if that was happening to me because there is no justice. And the mantra, of course, from the domestic abuse organisations is every woman must be believed. I agree with that. Of course, you want to believe them. That doesn't mean that you don't validate it because yes. allegations are different to proven and that requires fact-finding. But it seems to me that you are innocent until proven male. And this is happening the world over. We need to be able to validate it. And in this country, I thought you were innocent until proven guilty, but you're not. You have a non-moral court against you, which can be done on late on a Friday night. You've got a week to respond. Um, it's usually, uh, you have very little time. I mean, you know, you're told that you're going to be, uh, you know, accused of um, domestic abuse. You're supposed to have a hearing in the family courts within a fortnight. Um, a full hearing, a fact-finding hearing, 
You don't. You get 30 minutes and it's usually put off for several months. Meanwhile, that non-molestation order is sent to the school, is sent to the CAFCAS, is sent to your GP, it's sent to all your friends. You are now officially an abusive father and it destroys people. We have 92 men killing themselves in the UK every week. Who cares? Every week. It is an utter scandal and we have to raise visibility and that's what we're going to do because as we raise visibility and people actually see this for what it is those who've denied it those who've ignored it those who've been too wimpish and stayed silent will be shamed they will hang their head in shame when we finished well said Jan I'm literally sitting here cheering you along and I'm so on on that team and you know I think next year is going to be a very telling year we've got I know um, Deborah Powney, who's doing amazing work in the UK, who's coming forward with some research, she should get her PhD next year. There's yeah. a conference where Erin and Deborah are going to get together, so that's two powerhouses. With yeah. it, it's, they, there's only a limit now. It's you know the, the time, the clock is ticking, and it's, there's a limit to how long they can keep the lid on this pressure cooker it because there are a lot. Yeah, it's it's it all going to come to come out, and it's a scandal. It's a complete it scandal. It is a big scandal. And, you know, the thing is, here's the thing. What nobody's talking about, and it's really important, is Anna Machen is the UK's leading anthropologist. She spent 10 years looking into the power of dad. Her research is beautiful. And what she says is, in the whole animal kingdom, only 5% of mammals, male mammals, are invested in their offspring. And human ape, <laughs> human man, is the only ape, if you want to call us apes, that actually is invested in its offspring. There are physiological and biological and neurological changes that occur to a father when that baby is coming. The testosterone drops, it never goes to its pre-baby level. And they start to produce oxytocin, which is a love drug, and dopamine, attachment. And they have the same attachment to their child as a mother does by the age of six months. And fathers have a vital role to play. They have the rough and tumble. They teach children resilience, how to have confidence. And we are currently eradicating them from the child's life. We need to look at the proof of biology and human ideology. Sorry, gender ideology cannot replace human biology. And we just need to listen to Anna Macken's research to see that. Daddies are important. Mummies are important. And we need to really get to grips with this issue, for sure. Yeah, well said again. One last question just before I let you go. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's been really, really fascinating. So let me just say, we all know that break, uh, breakups can be incredibly messy. Do you actually think that raising awareness about um, the long-term effects of parental alienation is the key to encouraging adults to break up better and keeping the interests of children as a primary focus? Um, I certainly think raising awareness would be useful. Um, you know, Darnell said there were three types of alienator, the naive, the active, and the obsessive. With the obsessive, you're clearly looking at, you know, um, borderline personality disorder, narcissism. You can't negotiate with that. You know, you need court, uh, a really strong court um, legal sort of mental health uh, mandate of interlock to address that because it doesn't stop, it doesn't end. Um, however, there will be some who are in the first instances of a marital breakup, 
uh, or you know any kind of breakup um it's natural to feel angry upset particularly if you're the innocent party and you know someone has uh, treated you badly um it is understandable that you might uh, say things that normally uh, you wouldn't say in front of your children and you know i, I respect that we're, we're humans um for those people those naive uh, parents who don't realize the impact the lifelong impact that alienation has on children would through education modify that they would be horrified if they knew um yeah. even active alienators there's still some flexibility there if they understood but the key here is education really early on you know they do it in israel you know the um philip marcus former judge uh, in Israel, he headed up the um, uh, Jerusalem family courts and, and they start at school. You know, they teach children about PA and how to become resilient uh, alongside domestic, other kinds of domestic abuse, because parental alienation is a form of domestic abuse, being very clear about that. Um, they uh, have uh, pres presenters talking about it and they have teachers around the, uh, the assembly room watching the children. And if the children squirm in their chair, then they're generally pulled out from interventions because they're obviously recognizing what they're talking about. And the other great thing about Israel is that they actually have one uh, family judge right the way through. So there's judicial continuity and um, they'll have one uh, lawyer to deal with both cases. Whereas here, as soon as you get to family court, it actually just gets worse. You know, yeah. you've got two adversarial lawyers or even worse, you've got one and against a litigant in person. And it's just crazy. We just need to step back and think about the children first and think about what we can actually start putting in place early intervention. So we're reaching people upstream, not pulling out the bodies downstream. It's too late then. Yeah, absolutely. Jan James, thank you so much for talking to me today. I'll be in touch with you soon and I look forward to inspiring change with you. <laughs> My pleasure. No pressure intended, eh? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Jan. That was Jan James from Good Egg Safety in the UK. She's fantastic, isn't she? That campaign is going to cause public outrage about parental alienation and it's about time. Now, anyone who's read my work over the last few years will know that I always repeat the simple truth. There are good women and bad women, good men and bad men. That's just reality. And news stories like this horror show surrounding Malka Leifer really underline this. Last Monday, Malka Leifer was told she would be extradited from Israel to Australia to face 74 charges of child sex abuse. I've been following this story for years, as I know many of you have. It's actually been six years that this battle has taken to get Malka extradited from Israel and it's been going on since 2014. Leifer is accused of sexually abusing several former students. Three sisters allege they were sexually abused by Leifer. She has always maintained her innocence. Nicole Meyer told The Australian the news felt like, quote, we can all breathe again. It's a huge validation for victims and it's absolutely imperative that women are held accountable. Not just men who commit crimes, but women too. This is a news story which, rightly, looks set to get a lot of media coverage. That will keep a light shining on the fact that crime is not a gender issue. Being a vile human being is not a gender issue. In the same week, we've seen this horrendous story about a paedophile ring in Townsville. A male childcare worker has been charged with 104 child sex crimes, which is just awful. 
two women are also accused of distributing child porn and bestiality. It's reported that 12 children were used to make those disgusting videos. Those children are two boys and 10 girls whose lives have been ruined by selfish predators. The ringleader apparently sexually abused his own children, siblings and dogs. I actually struggle to find words around any of this. It just seems unfathomable that any human being could do such things. And yet we know that they do. Men and women, unfortunately. Plus, look at this. A New South Wales woman, Wendy Sue Dent, has been sentenced to life in prison with a non-parole period of 25 years for poisoning her partner with prescription medication. She chose to do this in his own home on his birthday weekend. A Supreme Court judge said she acted out of greed and preyed on the man's kindness. Remember this story when someone tries to tell you that controlling behaviour, greed or coercion are male issues, right? That's enough, Barraclough, for now. See you next week. The Corin Barraclough Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Corin Barraclough. To watch, listen to or read more new media without the social justice warrior narratives or politically correct fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.